2: You're listening to the gospel light radio show
1: good evening wherever well, you're on the world listening to this radio broadcast stevie b's media production presents the gospel light radio show i'm your host stevie r butler and this radio show is being broadcast from stevie b media production at the carolina studio in the great state of north carolina with my co-host glenn mcmillian from the state of texas dr frank washington from the state of florida Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Steve Cordo from the state of Illinois, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida, Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful for the privilege to be able to bring you a program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give me a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. Or you can go to the blog talk radio website. I just checked it before I came on the air and you will find this show tonight on page one of that website. There are over 1800 live shows that are on blog talk radio at this hour And you will consistently find this radio show, ladies and gentlemen, on pages one through four of that website. What a blessing that truly is. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts on this broadcast, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com. Or you can give me a call at Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio at 910 491 Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ, and if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and study along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're
2: listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
1: Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you abide with me in the word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, the Father, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we are prepared now to present a portion of your Holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you will be with my co-host on the show this evening, Brian Christian Coleman and Steve Cordo, as they break into our listeners the bread of life, and also my co-host Glenn McMillian, who will be answering the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We just pray that you will bless them and their families that support their efforts, that so they may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will bless our listeners who are tuning in via blog, talk, radio, as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well, that they may consider their eternal stance before you and their hearts may be pricked, and it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who died such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. For we recognize that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of thy will. Father, we pray that you'll continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives, and if we have been faithful until death. Father, we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name, we do ask it all.
2: Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, in the first segment of the broadcast, my co-host, Brian Christian Coleman. He serves with the Newark Church of Christ there in Newark, New Jersey. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, I have a question for my co-host, Glenn McMillian, from the Shout It Out platform on social media, Facebook, and he'll be—he's from the Waterview Church of Christ there in Richardson, Texas, and he'll be answering our question in that segment. And then to close out the show, my co-host Steve Cordle—he serves as evangelist for the East Park Church of Christ in Danville, Illinois—and he will be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open up your Bibles now and open your minds, and let's have a great show after the break. Next, what you'll be—that of my co-host Brian Christian. Coleman. Enjoy the show.
2: You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
3: The light. Come on, send the light, in the light, the light, the blessing comes for the light. From shore to shore, come on, send the light, the blessing comes for the light, let it shine,
4: more or evermore.
2: listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: Now my co-host Brian Christian Coleman and his subject don't park here.
5: Churches of Christ, we thank you for being with us this evening on the Gospel Light Radio Show. And we also do not want to forget that sometimes on our shows we do have members people who listen who are not members of the Church of Christ. And we welcome them. And we just, as I stay back home here in Newark, New Jersey, they're not strangers. There's no strangers in the house, just friends whom we have not met. And this is a great opportunity that God has blessed us that we may come together to study and learn more of his word, another portion of his word that we can use to help us make heaven our home one day. I'd like to also give a shout-out before I start my lesson to Brother Stevie Butler, who has produced this program for a great number of years, and definitely he should be commended in bringing, bringing together the great men who's, who come and preach on this show every single week. And it's a great honor to work with him, and I definitely look forward one day to be able to meet all of the brethren who work on this radio show that we may come together in fellowship because we are all striving. To make heaven our home one day I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 Verses 12 to 16 That's the book of Philippians Chapter 12, 3 excuse me Philippians 3 verses 12 to 16 And the Bible reads Now as though I have already attained either were already perfect But I follow after is that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling Of God in Christ Jesus Lest therefore As many as be perfect Be thus minded And if in anything Ye be otherwise minded God shall reveal Even this unto you Nevertheless Whereunto we have already attained Let us walk By the same rule Let us mind The same thing. If that's in your Bible, say amen. I'd like to speak a few minutes on the subject that actually my father of the gospel, the late Dr. Eugene Lawton, former minister of the Newark Church of Christ here in Newark, New Jersey, preached many, many years ago. And I've actually taken the same lesson but made some modern twists to it and put my own spin on it. And it's entitled Don't park here. Don't park here. Have any of you ever been out shopping? Now, ladies, say amen when you can. Hello, I'm talking to you now. And I'm also talking to the husbands who have gone out with their wives or girlfriends, and they've gone shopping. And you've searched for a parking spot in front of or close by a shopping mall, or in an area which is close to the door of where you want to shop at. You, tr- you sit around waiting for people to move their vehicle. People come up with bags and boxes and you ask them, Are you moving your car? And they say, No, I'm not. Come on, y'all say amen now. But then finally, you find a parking spot and you start praising God, saying, Thank you, Lord for finding that parking spot. And as you get closer and you turn your car into that parking spot, you see a sign which is posted in red and white saying, no parking, tow away zone. I know I'm talking to somebody this evening. And you get angry, you get mad, and you come out of that spot very gingerly and easily because you don't want to hit another vehicle, and you go looking. For another parking spot When you go Into some areas of your city Or town or municipality You will find tollway Zones Loading zones Or no parking zones And you will be trying to figure out Why these these areas don't have no parking And if you take the chance My brothers and sisters In parking in that area I stopped by to tell you you're looking for yourself a nice, pricely parking ticket. You're also looking forward to your car being towed away. And let me drop this bomb while I'm flying over. The old days of it costing only $75 to park there or to get your car back is gone. You're going to be paying about at least $250 to get your car back. That's not including the parking ticket. Say amen when you can. Now, if you understand about that, understand where I'm about to go to right now. We all are dealing with different things in life. In Philippians, I enjoy this book so much because it brings so much motivation to let us know that we have a responsibility, that we have some goals that we need to shoot for. Verse 14 says that I press toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling of God In Christ Jesus No matter where you are In your own individual Christian life Understand That you need to be pressing forward in In reaching your goals And I'm not talking about reaching Your personal goals Of finance or anything of that nature Or your job I'm talking about the goal In reaching that Christ has set forth He took He gave his own life on Calvary's cross nobody took his life he gave his life and because one day he wants us all to be able to stand before him and and he and let him hear the words well done thou good and faithful servant and then he said come on up higher i'm going to make you ruler over many and i'm sure all of us who are members of the blood bought spirit filled have held heaven bound Church, of, excuse me. Church of Christ wants to achieve that same goal. All of excuse me. All of us want to make heaven our home one day. Excuse me, brothers and sisters, need a little water there. All of us want to make heaven our home one day. But in order for us to get there, we've got to go through some some ups and downs in life. We're going to have our times where we're high up on the mountain. And other times, we're going to be down in the valley. Sometimes, we're going to go through some aches and pains of life. We're going to go through some heartache. We're going to go through some disappointment. We're going to go go through many different challenges in life. But it all prepares us, no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what we're going through, We need to press forward toward the mark that Christ has for us. And it's going to be rough sometimes, but I stopped by to tell you. We need to ask God not to remove the mountain that we're facing, but just give us the strength that we can climb it. And definitely God will move some stuff out of our way and allow us to make it to the goal that we set. And sometimes we have to ask God to move some people out of our way because we got some blessing blockers, y'all, in the church. I'm talking to somebody this evening, as well as out of the church. We got some folks that don't want to see us grow. We got folks that don't want to see us develop. We got folks that don't want to see us make it into reaching our goals. But thank God, God knows about these blessing blockers, and he can move them out of our way, and we just got to remember – that God doesn't have to move us to bless us. He can bless us on the enemy's territory. I talked about that in another lesson previously. He can bless us on the enemy's territory and have the enemy give us our blessing, and they think they're doing us a favor. Say amen when you can. And I stop by to tell you, no matter what, keep pressing on. Keep pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God. Because God is able. Say amen when you can. And I've got three disabilities to talk about. Now disabilities, one thing that you're going to stop we're going to need to stop by is to is to stop is stop not park at is the issue of disability. Some different types of, of disabilities are vision, mobility, neurological, cognitive, medical and psychological. Each disability has different definitions, such as a vision, the cause of the inability to see objects, perceive light or color, or correctly judge distances. Another disability is mobility, cause difficulty or the inability in the use of hands, feet, arms, or legs. Auditory is a cause of partial or total inability to perceive the sounds including total deafness or different degrees of hearing loss. Now also there are three types of ability. They are partial, permanent, and per, uh, permanent disability and permanent total disability. When you're faced with a particular disability, it causes the individual to become depressed. They feel they are no good to anyone and feel themselves as a burden to individuals that want to help them. And you know what? When you're facing and dealing with these disabilities, they lash out at individuals and start having thoughts that everyone is against them. When a person gets into this rut of depression, it is very hard for that person to come out of depression. But I read about a man in history that was a strong man, an agile man, a man with energy to spare. That man, that man I'm speaking about is Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was born in Hyde Park, New York, in 1882. He became a New York State Senator in 1910. He later became Assistant Secretary of Navy, Between 1913 and 1919, under President Woodrow Wilson, he was nominated as the Democratic National Convention as the Vice President of the United States as a running mate, James M. Cox, who ran for president. In 1921, Roosevelt was struck down with polio. And at first, some people would believe that that was the end of his political career. But thank God it was not the end of the line for FDR. Roosevelt did not accept his particular situation. He began to work on himself physically and each and every day in order for him to get back to some type of physical strength. He even developed his own wheelchair from a kitchen table. He was able to drive a car by having a car designed. They would operate it with hands rather than feet for the brake and accelerator later on in 1929 he ran for governor of new york and held that office between 1929 and 1932 during the great depression Roosevelt decided he was going to run for president of the united states and he held that office from 1932 to his death in 1945 steering this country through the Second World War, and the Great Depression. This is a man who had a disability, but he did not allow that disability to keep him held down. Roosevelt did not park on the street of disability, but but decided to keep moving forward and became president of the United States. The Bible tells us of a prophet by the name of Moses that had a disability. The Bible teaches us in Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. <coughs> and the Bible says, And when the Lord saw, they had turned aside to see God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, and said to Moses, and said, Here I am. And he said, Draw not hith- nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from thy feet. For the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. And in verse, ma'am, God told Moses, "I will send thee unto Pharaoh, and that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." Then Moses began to tell tell God in verse eleven, "Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and what should I bring forth? and and that I should bring forth the children of Israel?" out of Egypt. In verse 13 and 14, Moses told said unto God, and Moses said unto him, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall they and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, "Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am sent me unto you." And in Exodus four and 10, the Bible says, "And Moses said unto Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heron, heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto my, thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. What this meant was that he had a stuttering problem, brothers and sisters. And God said unto Moses, who made your mouth? I know you have a stuttering problem all your life. And God told Moses, you have an older brother by the name of Aaron. Just whisper in his ear what you want to say, and Aaron will speak for you. Moses had a disability of speech, but God showed him that even though he had a disability, you can still be a servant unto me. And that lets us know that no matter what the, the, your disability, God has a purpose for you. We need to remember, before we were born, we had, when we were in our mother's womb, God had purpose for each and every one of us. So don't park at the street of disability. The second street I'm going to let you know you should be better not park at or should not park at, is past failures. I don't care what you, who you are, where you grew up, where you went to school, where you graduate high school, college, what job you have, where you worked in the past few years. You have failed at one time or another. Come on, y'all, say amen when you can. Each of us have failed in one sense of a word in our life. Everybody has failed in passing an examination, passing a course in high school or college, business, failed at work, failed as a child, failed as a parent. Each of us has failed in life. Failure is described as in a state of condition or not meeting a desirable or intended objective. When some people deal with major failure, they become depressed, they don't want to go to work, They don't want to be around the family. They get lack of energy, lack of focus, and even become suicidal. One thing that we must admit is that we're going to fail at least once in our lives. When I think of failure, I think about an individual that dealt with failure most of his life, from a youth right up to his adult years. That man is Abraham Lincoln, who was the 16th president of the United States. Abraham Lincoln was born on February 12, 1809, in Hockerville, Kentucky, and Lincoln was born into poverty. At the age of nine, his mother passed away in 1818, leaving him and his 11-year-old sister alone. As he became an adult in 1828, his sister died, another sister died later on. He worked several jobs from working on a boat to stock clerk to the and other occupations. While serving as a stock clerk, he opened up a, a, a barrel, and under a pair of old shoes, he found a book called Blackstone's Commentaries, which was at that time one of the most important law books ever written. So Lincoln began to study to become a lawyer. He failed the bar exam for the state of Illinois three to four times before he finally passed and obtained his law license. He was a popular lawyer earning the name Honest Abe, due to him his willing always to be honest and get the truth out of people. He first his first love was a woman by the name of Ann Rutledge, who died of typhoid fever in 1836. In 1842, he married a woman by the name of Mary Todd Lincoln. Mary Todd. His first son, Eddie Baker Lincoln, died in 1850 from tuberculosis. In 1862, he lost his third son, Willie, from a fever in 1862. In 1830, Lincoln ran for the Illinois State Senate and lost. He ran for the state legislature and for the U.S legislature and served from 1834 to 1842 he later on ran for congress in 1843 but lost that election he finally won a seat in congress in 1847 to 1849 and lost his re-election in 1856 he ran for vice president of the united states with the newly formed republican party and lost finally in 1860 he was elected president of the United States and served two terms from 1861 to 1865 and steered this country through the Civil War. And basically, this man was racked with a large amount of disappointments and failures in his life, but he rose above all those disappointments and failures to get go down in history as one of the greatest presidents in the United States of America. In the Bible, We see a man that was told that he was going to be a man that would have keys to the kingdom. But because of him being scared, he thought he had lost it all. And you all know who I'm talking about, the apostle Peter. The brother of Andrew was called by Jesus, come and follow me. And he would make fishers out of men. Peter was on that ship in the Sea of Galilee. When Jesus was taking a nap in the bottom of the ship, and the winds and waves beat on that ship, and everybody was afraid that they, and they woke up Jesus, and they said, Master, do you care if we perish? And Jesus stood on the deck of that boat. He stood there like a man, but he spoke like God and said, Peace, be still. And there was a great calm. And the question was asked, what manner of man is this, that the winds and the waves obey him? Peter was was there when Christ was invited to a wedding in Canaan and turned water into wine. Mm. Peter was present when he saw Christ take two small fish and five barley loaves and fed 5,000 men, not including women and children. On a hillside, Peter was there when he came to see. He came to see about his friends Lazarus. That was sick, and his sister Martha said, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not would not have died." And Jesus said unto him, "You will see him again." And Martha said, "I know I will see him again at the resurrection." But Jesus shot, "I am the resurrection." But Jesus, and he said, "Take me." Where you laid him, and Jesus stood there in front of the tomb, and I sure and I surely know that there is something in the name because he said, "Lazarus, come forth." Peter was there when Jesus wanted to know what sent what men said about what he was doing, and he asked the question, "Whom say thee?" Said I, "That I, the Son of Man, am." And they gave a some say report. Some say you are John the Baptist. Others a liar others jeremiah or just one of the prophets but you know jesus was not satisfied with just that some say report and he said to his children 12 who had seen him do all the many wonderful works that he had done and asked them art who he was and simon peter said thou art the christ the son of the living god and jesus said to them Said you're not smart enough to figure that out by yourself Peter you had help from my father which is in heaven And he told him upon this rock I will build my church And the gates of hell shall not prevail Against it And he said I will give you Talking about Peter The keys of the kingdom And whatsoever ye bound on earth Shall be bound in heaven And whatsoever he, he loose on earth Shall be loosed in heaven then later on, he was arrested by the Jews and marched from judgment hall to judgment hall. And Peter was warming himself by the fire, and he be- and he had forgotten what Jesus had told him. He told him, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And, Jesus- and Peter denied him three times, and he heard that cock crow. And remember what Jesus had told him, the Bible said he wept bitterly. Now, when Jesus had rose from the dead, he had, had instructions to tell his disciples they had rose and risen from the dead. And he said, also tell Peter. And we see in the book of John, chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. So when they had, had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than, than these? And he said unto him, yes, Lord. Thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my lamb. And he said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said, Feed my sheep. And he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter then grieved because he said unto him, the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my flock. Jesus asked the same question to Peter three different times. Now you say why that Jesus was testing Peter, but the meaning of the question was to get Peter to know they had forgiven him for his trespass from the past. The same number of times that Peter had denied Jesus was the same number of times that Jesus asked Peter, did he love him? Jesus was letting Peter know that everything is all right between Peter and us. And later on, we see a different Peter in Acts chapter 2. When the same swearing and denying Peter, we see him stand up with the eleven and preach the first gospel sermon. But before the multitude, and when the question was asked, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Peter parked on the street of past failures, but Jesus helped him to understand that even though he was messed up in his past, Jesus could still use him for the glory of the kingdom. My last point, don't park on the street of successes. One major issue that many park, and when they rest on the morals past and present successes, they believe that if you work hard throughout your lives, become successful along the way, they feel that they can just rest, and have an easy time. Many become, success, <clears throat> become successful in politics, business, education, and general work. They have worked hard all their lives. They feel they can just sit back and enjoy themselves because they have worked hard and can celebrate now. That makes me think of the man who had gotten a great harvest and decided to make plans Without asking God's blessing, y'all know the man in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to verse 20. And the Bible reads, the ground of a certain man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruit. And he said, I will do this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all of my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be of thee. Then who shall these things be, which thou hast provided? Man, when God calls you a fool, you're sure enough fool. Say amen when you can. We see a man who was blessed by God with a great harvest, but he ran into a problem. He didn't even thank God for what he had. Hello? He didn't even thank God. For all that he had given him So he decided on his own self Instead of trying to fit them Everything in the barn He said I'm going to tear down my barns And I'm going to build some greater barns Then he said I'm going to take a rest From my my soul From all the hard work I've done But there's a problem with his thinking As I said earlier He didn't even say thank you To God for what he got He didn't even consult God that God will bless him to be able to accomplish what he was trying to do. That's why the Bible, that's why the Bible says in James 4, 14, and 15, Whereas ye know, not, w- where, not shall be tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and vanishes away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live, and do this, Or that Then God said thou fool This night thou shalt thy soul Shall be required of thee And who shall these things be And when God as I said earlier Calls you a fool You are surely a fool God had told him tonight Your soul is required That means that he is going to die That night That is why it's important to watch what you say In regards to life Just because you are up today You don't know what tomorrow is going to happen. You may have money today in your pocket and able to afford anything you want to and be able to get what you want and have good credit. But just a little while later, your change is strange, your money is funny, and your dollars are hollering. Say amen if you can. Don't let the good times think that the good times are always going to last. Each and every one of us. Have a, have a one paycheck away From poverty And some of us are already there That's why we should not park On the street corner of past successes Because this is the way This is the past that you that you Have no way of knowing What the future is going to be Stop putting your faith in your job Money, stocks and bonds IRAs and man But you should put your faith In Jesus Stop putting your faith in man because man Will fear you, but your faith. Put your faith in the Master Teacher. The Bible says in Matthew 6:19 and 20, Lay not up thyself treasures unto the heaven, unto on upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up your, yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Also, you need to put your hands in the master's hands. You need to let Jesus be the leader of your life. Don't depend on false religions, false prophets, religious racketeers. Man's opinion will lead, can lead you in different directions, but it will not lead you to salvation. That's why the Bible teaches us in Matthew eleven twenty eight to thirty, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your weary souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burdens are light. You can only have that opportunity in Christ Jesus to have some light burdens. And don't and if you want to be saved, the plan of salvation is so simple. You've got to hear the gospel, Romans 10 and verse 17. Then you must hear the gospel, believe the gospel, excuse me, John 8, 24. You must repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3 and 5. You must confess with your mouth the sweetest words that you will ever say that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Acts 8, 36 and verse 37. And then you must go down into the liquid tomb of baptism, For the remission of your sins, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. And what baptism does, it washes away your sins, Acts 22 and verse 16. It makes you a new creature, John 3 and 5. It makes you a child of God, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. And it adds you to the only church that you can find in God's holy and divine word. And that church is the church of Christ, Acts 2 And verse 47 And if you are a member of the church right now And you have not been living right You have made some mistakes Along the road of success You have turned left When you should have turned right You have forsaken your Assembly in the church You have put God off When you should have put God on Whatever your situation You can come back unto him You can rededicate your life Back to Christ so if you wish to be baptized or you have moved and you're a member of the church and you have not found a church home, contact Brother C.B. Butler on the Gospel Light radio show, and he will let you know of a congregation where you can call and find out who the preacher is and let that preacher know you heard a man on the Gospel Light radio show, and you want to know where the church is so I can be baptized into the church of Christ Or where I can come and place my membership So you can get back in fellowship With God I don't know what's on your heart tonight I don't know what's on your mind But I, I beg you and urge you To make, put Christ first In your life And let me just stop by and drop this last bomb While I'm flying over When you put, him in, when you put Christ in, first in your life When you let him drive the car Let him keep on driving the car In your life And he will bless you in so many ways I know I may have been long-winded this evening But I want to make these strong points this evening I pray that this lesson falls on your hearts That you will make a difference in your lives May God bless you And may God keep you Thank you for listening
4: I was hurting all alone I was searching for a comfort I could find on my own With no direction Feeling down My life was headed for disaster Till you turn me around Nothing ever had been able Trying to please me, it only pleased me late. But when I learned about the way to love me, had to put your honor above me. And you gave me rest. Lead me to rest, sweet Lord. Lead me to rest. What a comfort, what a deal As I consider what you offer me, how can it be real? What should I offer in return when the value of your blessings no one could ever, ever And you made it so clear I'm supported when the devil would charm me Protected when the evil would harm me Tell me how can I be Lead me to rest, sweet Lord Lead me to rest From my journey here Lead me to rest
2: You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out question.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the part of the broadcast where I have a question from uh, my Shout It Out platform on Facebook. And we want to encourage our listeners to just join that group and get involved in those biblical discussions. Now, I have a question for my co-host, Glenn McMillian. He serves with the Waterview Church of Christ there in richardson texas Glenn, how you doing brother
0: i'm doing all right how are you
1: i'm doing just fine now we got a doozy of a question here this question is from lance Connolly from the state of texas now here's this question he says if a church of christ preacher decides that all household means they should baptize infants and another church of christ preacher refuses to do so because they believe it means to exclude infants how do you determine which one the which one is abusing the scriptures what say you to this question
0: uh this is a, a very good question and it's not really the question that he's asking so on the surface it sounds like he's asking a question about infant baptism and he will answer that question for the sake of continuous but That's not really the question that he's asking What he's really asking Is a question about biblical authority so When we have two People or two In this case two preachers who approach uh, Biblical authority or, or a certain passage of scripture From different directions How do we come to a, An understanding of which, which Interpretation is correct um, Without uh, Some sort of Referee as it were uh, To make that determination So he is basically attacking The idea that We can rely on scripture alone To resolve these issues That, And he is been insisting That we need some kind of Super authority Some kind of special Counsel as it were uh, To come in and to resolve this question If two uh, Two preachers ha- Come to a different opinion about what something means in Scripture. And and that is understandable from the same extent because there is there are lots of people who are in denominations that have such super abilities within them uh, that serve that function of interpreting Scripture for their cognitive. Um, but in the Church of Christ, in, in as the Apostle Paul and, and all of the other Writers of the New Testament uh, make it clear. The writing of Scripture itself, the Scripture itself interprets itself. The Scripture itself will give you all of the information that you need in order to answer these questions. You don't need some kind of outside authority. There is no super authority. There is no uh, central agency or or special counsel set up in Scripture uh, that has that function of resolving these issues? The only thing that resolves these, these issues is the text that we take to assume. So he gives this example of uh, infant baptism, I and mean, this is a pretty good example because uh, it, it highlights one of several problems that you could have in this in this kind of interpretation. So we have one preacher who is making making the case that. Infant baptism is necessary because in Acts uh, we see Paul baptizing Lydia's entire household and the Philippian jailer's entire household. And so, since the entire household is baptized, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: that should mean that anybody in the household is eligible for baptism, and therefore, uh, that includes even infants, if there happen to be have been infants in the household. And the problem with that, of course, is that the word household doesn't necessarily imply that infants are involved. So when we talk about scripture, we talk about we need a, a command, either a direct statement that says you must do this, that would be a command. An example, a, an illustration, a clear illustration of somebody doing something that is approved, or a necessary inference, we we see something that in scripture that necessarily infers, that that leaves no uh, outside or other explanation, but necessarily infers something. Uh, So in this case, they're making the case that household infers infant baptism, but Household doesn't necessarily include that. There is no, there's nothing in the word household that necessitates an infant be involved in any way. In my household, it's just me and my life. There is no infant in this household. In, in most people's households, there are no infants in those household. So to say that because the word household is used, necessitates an infant being baptized, uh, is, is just incorrect application of that principle. So how do we apply the principle? What we need to apply is that, so when we come to these types of situations where we have something that may or may not be implied, we have to go outside of that text and look at other texts that deal with the same subject. So since we're talking about baptism, we need to look at what other texts can we bring to light that would shed some some uh, light on who is eligible for that Well, you know, you know, going back to, to Romans chapters, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, uh, so, so Mark 16, 15 and 16, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. So there is a there is necessity for two things in order to happen, at least two things to happen in order for somebody to, to be safe. He must believe and he must be baptized. Already we have a problem with the whole including of infants in this scenario. Infants aren't old enough to believe. They cannot express a belief in anything. Um, So therefore their baptism would not lead to salvation because belief is also a necessary component for that to to occur. Uh, We go to other verses that talk about uh, in, in Matthew chapter twenty-eight, uh, you must. Uh, sorry, you. Oh, sorry, in Acts chapter two, verse thirty-eight, repent and be baptized in order to be saved. So it, again, there is a, a an act of repentance that has to happen along with your baptism in order for the for you to be saved. Again, we have a problem when we try to apply that to infants. Infants don't have the ability to express repentance or remorse for sins that they have committed. I mean, and in truth, they can't even commit sin because they're an infant. They don't have the capability uh, to do that. So we see that a person that is wanting to be baptized must be able to believe, must be able to repent. We also have a command to, to confess before baptism In, Romans, in uh, Acts chapter 8 If you believe Then you may be baptized And the, the, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch says I believe that Jesus is the son of God So there's a requirement To confess Your faith in the word Before your, before baptism and Again We can't apply that to us to Because they don't have the capability To confess and therefore, they are ineligible to undergo baptism least a baptism that leads to salvation. I mean, you can dump it into the water if you want to, but that doesn't get them to salvation because in order to be saved, the person being baptized must believe, must confess faith, must repent, and then be baptized for the purpose of having sins washed away and being made a member of the church so when we bring all of these, these scriptures together about baptism and we see what the requirements are what, what makes a person eligible for a baptism that actually leads to salvation we can't fit an infant into that scenario so the preacher who is claiming that because the word household could imply an infant will necessarily have problems fitting the infant into other passages in which baptism is, cl- is stated to have clear uh, prerequisites in order for it to be effective. So this is a specific example when we're talking about infant baptism. This applies generally when we have a, a situation where we, we have a disagreement on Scripture, on, on what a passage of Scripture says about a subject. We need to broaden our scope. What do other passages of Scripture say about the same subject? Do we have enough information now to make a conclusion on this on this matter, whether or not we go one direction or the other? And once we do that, when we get in the habit of doing that, um, we understand things in a in much more clear and a much more uh, organized way. It's, it's not a, I have a proof text that seems to say something, and therefore I can justify whatever I do as long as I have one verse that, that I can make most. It's the totality of Scripture. The sum of thy word is true. The whole of it. You can't take one piece and, and run with that and make a, a, a whole doctrine out of one verse. It's, I, again, several we know several denominations um, that we could name have dozens. Um, but you have to take scripture in its totality. We have to collect all of the, the scriptures, all of the, the verses that deal with a, a specific topic, and then look at what they say as a as a whole. Um, and that's how we determine which which of these preachers is t- in, is twisting the scriptures. The one that is taking a single verse and running with it is twisting the scripture. The one who looks at the, all of the verses in totality and comes up with a unified thesis of what the Bible is saying about that subject that is the one that is correctly handling the word of truth. I hope that makes things clearer for you and that, that aids your Bible study uh, continue to uh, listen and be a part of the gospel Light radio show
2: Shout it out question You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
3: I love to sing and I love to pray. I worship the Lord.
2: You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
6: Is your congregation in need of lending for a building or expansion project? As your partner and advocate, Diversified Financial Network will take the time to understand your unique situation and develop a financing solution that meets your specific needs. It's an exciting time for your congregation, and what you need is a company with expertise in church financing early in the process. Call us today at 1-866-513-6665 or visit us at www.diversifiedfinancegroup.com. This is a
1: program reminder. Stevie B's Media Production presents. We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. The telephone number to the live show is 713 955 0508. And the website is www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Gospel Life Radio Show. On Tuesday, the, I'm hosting a live show, What a Word from the Lord Radio Show. And this show will air every second, third, and fourth Tuesday of the month. And the show that airs on the second Tuesday of the month will air at 6 p.m. from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And we have a guest speaker on this broadcast from the Brotherhood of the Church of Christ. who will be making the proclamation of the Gospel of Christ. And also on that broadcast, we have the Community Corner segment for small business owners and entrepreneurs who have products and services for our community. I also have uh, two co-hosts that will be on that Tuesday night show. Lou Gilbert, he serves with the uh, Over Park Church of Christ there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and also Isaac Mullins, who serves with the Church of Christ there in Cary, North Carolina. Then on the third Tuesday of the month, from at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, I have my newest co-host, uh, Dr. Antirica Lane. He's a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist. She serves with the Gray Road Church of Christ in Cincinnati, Ohio. She'll be hosting her new show, Conversations with Dr. Lane. And then on the fourth Tuesday of the month at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, my co-host Kelly Fletcher, she serves with the Livingstone Church of Christ there in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. And she has her show, The Kelly Fletcher Show. Then on Thursday evening, each week from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'll be hosting a live show, The Gospel Light Radio Show. And I have seven co-hosts on this radio show. Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Steve Porter from the state of Illinois, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida, Million from the state of Texas Putney Corrella from the state of Illinois And Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey On this show, these co-hosts will be making their proclamation of the gospel of Christ And each week I have two co-hosts on the air with me And I'm also taking a question from my social media platform on Facebook Called Shout It Out So I'll be posing to one of my co-hosts on that live show Then on Friday night I will be hosting a live show, Stevie B acapella gospel music blast, and this radio show is the 2022 recipient for the Nakama, the National Academy of Christian Acapella Music Artists Award for outstanding achievement in record of radio. And this show will air every. Oh, this show will air from nine to eleven p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. On this radio show, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music, artists, the sweet sounds of voices, and we're also interviewing the various artists and producers, uh, comedians, etc. And we're also debuting new music and featuring old music on the broadcast as well. And every third Friday of the month, we have the Top 20 Countdown Show, and we also have on-demand episodes. Uh, there's just a variety of musical platforms that you can listen to, Whoever you're getting your favorite podcasts from. Uh, so, uh, just to name a few, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple, iTunes, YouTube, etc. And we also have recorded version shows. These shows will, will be, uh, they were album debuts mostly. And some of the same playlists that I use on the live show here on Blockchart Radio, I just took my voice out of that show. And these shows can only be heard on iHeartRadio, on Deezer, and also on Amazon Music. These shows are in beta hi-fi, so the sound quality is excellent. And we want to thank all of our sponsors who are sponsoring these radio shows. If you want to be a sponsor, just contact my sponsorship manager, Michelle Marco, from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The telephone number is 954-687-4705. And the three E's of Stephen B's Media Production. It is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate, want to edify, want to encourage you in a study of God's Word. And that will conclude my program announcements. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Stay tuned.
2: You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
4: I've said that Lord you give not what I am due but mercy You you come to my rescue you come to my rescue you come to my rescue being there for my rescue, and Lord, I give all I can give, all, my all of my heart, long as I shall live. So Lord, oh Lord, I just wanna thank you, wanna thank you. for coming. Coming to my rescue, you come come to my my rescue. It's gonna let you know Coming, for coming, for coming to, yeah, for my, to rescue. my rescue. Oh, coming to my rescue.
2: You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: Now my co-host Steve Cordo and his subject unto what then were you baptized?
6: Good evening, Stevie, and thank you for having me on the show once again and Welcome to our listening audience on the Blog Talk radio platform or whatever platform you happen to be on. If you have a Bible and you want to open up to Acts chapter 18, that's where we'll be starting in verse 24 here momentarily. And while you're turning there, think about this. Being sincere, but wrong. How many of us have ever been in that position? Very sincere about something, but realize that we were wrong in the end we're going to be looking at that today and you know years ago i was uh uh in florida visiting a cousin it was my first time in florida after growing up in alaska i jumped at the opportunity to be able to go to the beach and have a little fun in the sun and uh so his wife dropped me off with her carpool on the way uh, on her way to work one morning and uh we had made an agreement where i'd be picked up and uh, be taken to the airport that night because i was catching a red eye flight to go back to alaska and um, I I, uh, I called her in the afternoon uh, when it was getting late and said, okay, I think I'm ready to go. And so she said, okay, I'll meet you back there at that same place where we dropped you off. Said, okay, fine. And I waited and waited. And about 45 minutes went by, and I started to get concerned. I knew I wasn't that far away from where she worked. An hour, hour and a half goes by. Finally, her husband, my cousin, uh, I can see his sports car coming in. And got in the car, and he wasn't really all that happy. Uh, and and for those of you wondering why I didn't just use my cell phone to call, it's because, well, this was back in the days when we didn't have cell phones. That's how long ago this was. But eventually he picked me up, and, and guess what? I was at the wrong parking lot. And uh, they all looked alike. They all had the same changing stations in them. And it never occurred to me to think, to look to see if these parking lots were numbered, if they had names or lettering system or anything like that. So I was late getting picked up, late getting to the airport, and missed my departure to Anchorage and uh, had to fly out the next day. Now, keep in mind, I thought I was at the correct meeting place, but I wasn't. Now, I was very sincere in that idea and in that belief. So that should have made me right, shouldn't it? Being sincere about it, shouldn't that have made me right? Well, obviously, no, it didn't. And somehow when it comes to our religious beliefs, we seem to think that being right somehow, or being sincere rather, somehow makes us right. Uh, Somehow makes us acceptable to God. I mean, doesn't just being sincere, isn't that all I need to do to uh, to be acceptable to God, is just be sincere? And I've conducted many funerals and attended many more than I've conducted. And many times it is said of the deceased that grandma was just sincere in her beliefs or grandpa, or whoever. And that and that may be true, but that has nothing to do with grandma standing before God. And it is good to be sincere in our beliefs, but that is not the deciding factor to determine right or wrong. And I, I remember one particular funeral that I conducted. Uh, we were at the reception afterwards, and this was a large funeral. that It was uh, five or six hundred people. It's one of the largest ones I've ever done uh, in a small town and very prominent A member of the community. He was in his early 70s and uh, had a heart attack and literally dropped dead in uh, in his living room. And after the funeral, his widow uh, got into a discussion with some women about uh, baptism and salvation, and she affirmed that her husband was immersed in his teen years uh, at his mother's insistence. In fact, he went to church until adulthood, mainly because it was forced on him by his mother. And during this lunch conversation after the funeral, everyone seemed satisfied. Okay, he's safe. Now, he was baptized in a denomination that was well-known and does not teach biblical doctrine on salvation and rarely set foot in a church building. Uh, In fact, I only remember him setting foot in the church building twice while we were there, Uh, once for his uh, grandkids' baptism, and then once because there was a family reunion they were going to right after church. and. He just came with them to make it easy on them since they live so far out of town, and they had to get going uh, to another town about an hour or so away. So was he saved? Well, that's between him and God. But for those of us who are here, let's make sure there is no doubt. And this might be a loose end that you need to tie up. And this uh, is the first in a series of lessons that I do. The series is called All Roads Lead to Heaven, Another Popular Fiction. And this lesson is looking at the idea of sincerity. Is it enough to just be sincere? There was a, a Facebook exchange once it started because someone had posted some thoughts on short-term mission work. And one of the replies in this thread said, said this. It said, there are 7 billion people in this planet and 7 billion paths. There is no one path that is better or more righteous than the others. Our heart guides the path right for each of us if we quietly listen and don't allow religion to get in the way. So seven billion people on this planet, seven billion paths, and and no one path is better than the other. So it's one of those find your own way and be sincere. And this is a prominent belief that many churches have and many individuals have as well. Well, today in our text, we're going to look at some people who were sincere, but they were wrong beginning in verse 24 of Acts chapter 18. In this lesson, I called it, Unto what then were you baptized? With the subtitle, I'm sincere, so I must be right. We're going to see a man named Apollos, and we're going to see 12 other men who were disciples of John the Baptist. And if Paul did like so many people today did, and if Aquila and Priscilla did, what so many people today did, they would have just said, hey, guys, as long as you're sincere in what you believe, that's fine. And they would just let them go on in their in their sin and in their error. But they didn't. Because in matters of faith, like other realities of life, sincerity is not enough. We must be sincere, yes. But it's more important that the object of our faith uh, be correct. And in in Acts chapter 18, look at verse 24, and look, first of all, at this man named Apollos. He's an eloquent man from Alexandria, which arguably was probably the second, maybe third most important city in the Roman Empire. And it was uh, kind of what we today might call a college town. It had a huge library there, a lot of philosophy, a lot of uh, uh, rhetoric, and, and, and a lot of uh, uh, great ideas, kind of like Athens was. So in verse 24 of uh, Acts 18, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. When he, and when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Now notice he's eloquent and powerful. He, he's a great speaker. He's a great preacher. He's, he's one that they, the people like to listen to. He could hold their attention. And he had a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, Uh, but it was the Old Testament, of course. That's what they had then. The New Testament uh, hadn't been written yet, and he's familiar only with the baptism of John. So his knowledge of the gospel is incomplete. And so uh, where he – he learned that somewhere, probably in uh, Alexandria, and uh, now here he is uh, in Ephesus, uh, uh, preaching and teaching and sincere yeah, he's very sincere, but he's wrong. And some things we see about Apollos are his dedicated uh, – how he used his talent. He, he It sounds like he could have probably gotten really wealthy off of this if he had been one of those uh, 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 speakers like Cicero and some of these others, could have gone into politics or something. But no, he dedicated his talent to the Lord, and he boldly proclaimed uh, what he knew and what he believed. He wasn't timid about it. But here's another thing. Look at verse 26. He was not too proud to admit he was wrong when when he realized that he was taught or that he had been teaching uh, some things that were wrong. And so he he learned from that, and he continued to grow and continued to grow uh, in the knowledge uh, that he needed. Now, we don't know exactly what his uh, deficiency was, if you will. We don't know exactly what the error was, but uh, there, there was something there not quite right. And so here comes Aquila and Priscilla. And let's just take a minute and look at them and how they conducted themselves when they encountered this uh, the the error here. You notice, first of all, they themselves had sufficient knowledge to recognize the error. Uh, wait a minute, what did he say? Oh, wait, that's not quite right, uh, what, what, what Apollos is saying there. Yeah, we need to go and talk to him. They recognized the error, and they did not believe that error was acceptable as long as one was sincere. Yeah, you know what? He's sincere, though, isn't he? Yeah, he's sincere. Okay, well I just let it go. It's okay. It's all good. He's he's sincere in what he believes even though he's wrong. They didn't take that. They realized, hey, there's there's something wrong here. He's not he's not uh on on uh uh on target as far as proclaiming the truth. And then notice too they thought the best of him. In other words, they did not consider him a dishonest teacher. Oh, he's teaching something different. He's dishonest, he's He's uh, in error. He's, he's uh just doesn't have an honest heart. He's trying to lead people astray. They, they looked at it as, hey, this guy just needs some help. He needs to be taught more perfectly. And instead of going and talking to others over lunch after church, hey, did you hear what he said? Oh, I can't believe he said that. You know, instead of talking to others, they went to Apollos, and they did not embarrass him publicly. They handled this privately. Now, there's some lessons there for us today. How many of us uh, have done something like this? We hear the preacher or we read something that eh, maybe isn't quite right, but rather than go to the person and say, hey, let's talk about this. I need to ask you some questions. We go to everybody else. We start writing letters or to our various publications, and we start getting in the pulpit in the classroom and just denouncing people uh, for the error. And and instead of going and talking to the person and making sure we understand it and maybe trying to study with them. But uh, Aquila and Priscilla had a kind and gentle spirit here in their approach. They did not want to just win an argument. They wanted to win a soul, and that's how they looked at it. And that's the way we need to be looking at it. They acknowledged to Apollos that a great deal of what he taught was accurate. And so instead of attacking him, they built on the truth he already possessed instead of going in and tearing down. Hey, you know, you're right on these things. It's like there there are people in some of the denominations. If you were to go to them, say, with a list of 10 doctrinal questions, and then you came to me and gave me the same questions and I filled them out, some of these denominational people, we're going to agree on about seven or eight or nine of those things. But you take your standard fundamentalist uh, church, like the Baptist church or the Assemblies of God or whatever, there's going to be two or three key things that we won't agree with them on very key. And that's where we need to take the things we do and build on that and see if we can uh, teach them more perfectly and bring them to what the Bible says about salvation and things like that. And so now coming into chapter 19, Paul meets the 12 disciples of John the Baptist. And I read this out of the King James Version because there's a a sentence in here that I, I like how the King James words it. And it came to pass, verse 1, chapter 19 of Acts, It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said to them, Unto what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people, that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake in tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. Now notice, he comes to town, and I don't know where he met these guys. It doesn't really say how he crossed paths with them. And he starts talking to them, and and it looks like they're they're disciples. And Luke's use of this term reflects that Paul had this perception that when he uh, got there that they were, that they were disciples, they were Christians. There's nothing to indicate any inadequacies in the faith or anything. And so they're talking, and then uh, he asked them, and something apparently triggered something in Saul's mind. So he asked them, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit?" Starting this conversation with them, assuming that they are disciples. Uh, of jesus and they said "Huh, holy spirit we haven't even heard whether there was a holy spirit so their belief here looks like it's incomplete and so the response of these men may be intended also to say they were just unaware of the spirit's outpouring so paul says to them unto what then were you baptized Okay, wait a minute. These guys, I thought they were disciples. Maybe not. Okay, so unto what then were you baptized? Uh, John's baptism. Okay, well, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is, on Christ Jesus. And so like Priscilla and Aquila did with Apollos, Paul explained that John's baptism had been good, but it was superseded. And so he taught them correctly. And once they were taught correctly, they were baptized in the name of or by the authority of Jesus. Paul explained the significance of John's ministry. Yeah, you know he was important. He was to prepare the way for Jesus. And so he explained to them the proactive character of John's baptism. It's looking ahead to Jesus. And this is uh, – and, and then they, they did – uh, except what Paul said and were baptized in the uh, in the name of Jesus and this is the only example we see of a person or somebody being baptized a second time. And so this is what uh comes up a lot when people when it comes to baptism and being uh, immersed and becoming a Christian. And going back to the fellow I told you about whose wife thought okay so he was baptized so he was uh, he was saved. Well, let's take a little bit uh, uh, deeper look at that, because now this is going to bring us to the question that uh, I use as the title of this of this uh, lesson. You see, because these twelve men, uh, their first baptism lacked some essential element, and so a rebaptism was necessary. And so, this is where I'm going to ask: unto what then were you baptized? And I'm going to ask another question. Here's the follow-up question. May we conclude that if one's baptism lacks some essential element, then rebaptism is necessary? If one's baptism lacks some essential element, is rebaptism necessary? Well, let's look at some essential elements. Number one, the proper mode of baptism. Now, a lot of churches out there will teach do. okay, we – yeah, we'll immerse you, but we'll also pour or we'll sprinkle. And I've known a lot of people who, yeah, I just had water poured on my head, and I felt like that was good enough. Uh, And a friend once told me that um, it was legalistic to uh, require baptism by immersion. But hold your finger there at Acts chapter 19 and jump over with me for just a minute to Romans chapter 6, where Paul says of baptism in verse 4, Romans 6 verse 4, We were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in a newness of life. Now notice he says baptism is a burial. Now think about a funeral, that funeral that I told you about when we went to bury the man what did we do? What do you do anytime you bury someone? Do you just lay them on the ground and pour a cup of dirt on them and say, okay, that's good, and and go on? Well, no, we have a hole, dug and we put them in it, and we cover them up. That's what a burial is. So how can pouring water on somebody's head or sprinkling a little water be considered a burial? Well, the answer is it can't. So that is the proper mode. Also, here's something else to keep in mind. And this is one of those discoveries I made accidentally. Uh, Looking at um, uh, Luke chapter 16, the rich man and Lazarus. When the rich man is uh, in torment and he cries out to Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Now, take a wild guess. That word dip, take a wild guess. What do you think that is in the original language? Yeah, it's a form of the word baptize. So if the various translators into English had transliterated this, like they did Acts 2.38 and Romans chapter 6 and other places, they would have said to send Lazarus that he may baptize the tip of his finger in water. Instead, they translated it. And there's, I think, a story and a history as to Uh, why the translations ended up the way they did, and that's another story for another discussion for another time. But the proper mode is immersion, and that is no, that's not legalistic. That's just simply doing what the Word says. The second essential element you need is the proper authority. You need to be baptized in the name of or by the authority of Jesus Christ. And that uh, we see in Acts chapter 19. They were baptized in the authority of Jesus. They were not baptized to join a church or because mom or dad or whoever said I needed to do it. And then uh, the proper purpose is for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, I have a friend who one time in conversation mentioned that she had been baptized, immersed, five times. And I said, huh? Why so many times? And she said, well, there are times that I've switched churches, and in order to join the church, they've always made me get baptized. Okay, if you're being baptized as part of a church ordinance so that you can join the church, and I'm holding using air quotes here, that's not the right reason. First of all, you cannot join the New Testament church. Um, Acts 2 verse 47 says that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You are added to the church. When are you added to the church? After you have been immersed. That's when Paul said you died to sin. Uh, at that point, And you cannot be a Christian unless you are dead to sin. And then you have the book of Acts tells us we are added to the church after we are saved. And then you have to have the proper subject for baptism. And that is a penitent believer. This is why children uh, cannot be baptized because they cannot repent of sin. They don't know what sin is. I'm talking infants and toddlers. They don't know what sin is. And so they can't be taught. They can't be studied with at that point. So it is, that's why it is needless to baptize infants and toddlers and that, and that sort of thing. So if you are lacking one or more of these elements, then rebaptism would be appropriate. And in Acts chapter 19, we see the proper authority for their baptism was lacking. Paul took them and baptized them in the name or by the authority of Jesus. And there have been some cases throughout uh, throughout my time as a preacher that I have. Baptize people a second time, and if if uh, we are baptized, think of this: if we are baptized by sprinkling or pouring, as I said, that is not the proper mode. That was not even a baptism. If we were baptized by the authority of anyone other than Jesus, such as joining a church, uh, because I have a relationship, you know, this is where you know teenagers or somebody they're dating a Christian, and the Christian said, you know, I'm not going to marry you or get serious unless you're baptized. Okay, so I'll get baptized or the kids are at school, or I mean at camp, and hey, all the cool kids are getting baptized, so I guess I will. And then if we are baptized as a what is called a public confession of faith, meaning uh, I was saved today and, and, and prayed the sinner's prayer, and now I'm going to get into the baptism classes for the next six weeks, and then I'll be baptized to show my faith. That's the wrong reason, even if it was by immersion. That's the wrong reason. And then if you're not for, uh, uh, repenting, If we are not baptized with a penitent heart where we're going to change our lives, then that is an essential element that's missing. And so, again, let's clarify a couple things here. If if your baptism was improperly administered or for a non-biblical purpose, it should be repeated correctly for the correct purpose. And when one is scripturally baptized, there is never a need to be baptized again. Uh, some people occasionally have doubts, and this is something for you uh, baptizers to think about uh, before you baptize someone. A practice that I started many years ago, and I got it from, from somebody when I was in Bible school. Uh, he had baptized all three of his kids, and before he baptized them, uh, he gave him a piece of paper and said, write down today's date and what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I've had people do that, especially if it's a second baptism and they're not real sure why I did the first one. I don't think I knew enough. don't think I understood. Okay, so here's a piece of paper. Write down today's date and what you're doing. You're being baptized because, and and just write this little note to yourself. And then fold it up, put it in your wallet, put it in your purse, put it under your pillow, put it in your Bible. In fact, maybe even make a few copies of it and put some in the drawer. And if you ever have a doubt, you can go back and look at this paper and see what you were doing and why you did it. And and then sometimes people, they'll write it out, and they'll hand it to me and say, here, does this look okay? And I'll hand it right back to them. I don't even read it. I hand it right back to them and say, yep, this is, this is a note to you. You need to decide if this is right and what you're doing. And so that if you look at this years from now, it's your words about what you're doing, and I don't have anything to do with it. This is your note to you and uh i've done that i don't know if anybody's ever used it uh, but uh it's something that i have done and um the 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 man that i know uh who whose kids did this i do know a k one of them occasionally i think look back at it but once we have clothed ourselves with christ in baptism remember the blood of christ continually cleanses us from our sins and at that point all we have to do is repent uh confess our sins to god and you know there might be amends we have to make with humans that we've offended and that's that's okay if we have to do that. But here's the caveat. Here's where we have to be careful. Look at 1 John chapter 1, where he says, "This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light," We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. Now notice, walk in the light as He is in the light. See, when our lives are lived in God's light, two things happen. One, we have fellowship with one another. And the second thing is the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. It continues to do it. But notice, we have to continue to walk in the light. Walk in the light as He is in the light. Now, it does not mean moral perfection, and I think this is something that a lot of critics of Christianity don't get, a lot of Christians don't get it. We don't have to be morally 100% perfect equal to that of God. We are humans. We are fallen. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so we'll sin. But what we have to understand is to continue walking in the light, the difference between walking in the light and occasionally sinning versus uh, we go off the rails and we're no longer walking in the light. Here's the way I, I illustrate it: just picture you're you're walking across the parking lot. Uh, it's rained and it's wet and there's a puddle and you slip and you fall in the puddle. You get up, you you know, dry yourself off as best you can and and get the dirt off you and you go on. That's the person walking in the light who sins occasionally. Now, someone who uh, say. Uh, you, you know something about mud puddles and water that it's a magnet to kids and you know on Sundays she's dressed in her best clothes my 9-year-old will say hey can I go out and jump in that mud puddle and I'll say don't even think about it uh, you know your mom's not going to be happy you're in your dress clothes I'm not going to be happy and so if 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 in that case that uh, the kid goes out and just jumps in the puddle and is splashing water and having a good time in disobedience to what mom or dad said that's the person who leaves the faith and is no longer walking in the light. They're jumping uh, into the mud puddle, jumping into sin. They've left the, the faith, and they're having a good time. They're enjoying it. That's the person who has uh, left the faith. That's the person that needs to be uh, really needs to be taught and really needs to be brought back and needs to be restored. So that's the difference between the two. We will occasionally sin, but we, we don't make it our way of life. We don't make it our habits. So let me go back to a question that I asked just a minute ago. May we conclude that if one's baptism lacks some essential element, that rebaptism is necessary? That's the question I asked earlier. The answer is definitely yes. We may conclude that if one's baptism lacks an essential element, rebaptism is necessary. So if you're asking yourself, uh, you know, hey, I was baptized in the XYZ church or ABC church or whatever. Do I need to be re-baptized to be pleasing to God? Well, ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself, was I baptized with the right mode? In other words, was I immersed or did I just have water poured on me? Was I baptized by the right authority? Was I baptized, in other words, by the authority at the instruction of Jesus Christ or because the, uh, the church leadership said I had to be baptized to join the church? But was I baptized for the right purpose? Was I baptized for the forgiveness of my sins? And was I bat- was the right subject for baptism? Was I a penitent believer when I was baptized? See, if you're lacking any of these essential elements, you really need to consider rebaptism in order to make your calling and election sure. Because we want, we, we like, you know, God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, and that's what uh, everybody on this program wants. We want everybody to ask. Uh, as Stevie says in his prayer, uh, what must I do to be saved? We want everybody to ask that, and we want you to get the right answer. So if you're looking for that answer, let us help you. And if you need to be rebaptized, contact someone on the uh, on the broadcast. Contact one of the uh, churches of Christ in your area. We'll help you find one. We want you to make sure that your calling an election is sure. And that's my lesson for this evening. Thank you for having me on the show, Stevie. Thank you, audience, for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you on the next show.
2: You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. When God says no, Mm. and we won't
3: insist it to the end, just remember, don't forget, Father knows what's bad.
7: I remember. remember God, he knew. God knows was there, there.
3: Yeah. yeah, my God, God He knows,
7: knows.
3: what there. there
7: Late in the midnight hour I was crying And all alone Waiting for an answer my home gone. I even called on my best friend And she could not be found me Lord, you said you'll never leave me Nor forsake me Lord, where are you now? So I went to church the next Sunday morning Looking for my breakthrough I knew a change would come if I just hold on, cause God's word is true. But then the preacher said something, and it took me by surprise. Sometimes God says no, but just like Job, you gotta trust him, my child, when God says no. When the preacher said it, and I didn't quite understand it. He said, don't forget. Don't forget. He your father father knows, Cause fair. He knows what's best. Fair. When I lay awake in the middle of the night with tears streaming from my eyes, I remember, Never Father knows, no, so no matter what you're going cause he knows father knows and I started to feel a little better cause he started talking about my Jesus and the gardener gets them a how would pray to the Father, let this cup pass from me. Then he did just like me, y'all. Said he went to his best friend, and his spring let him down. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you now? You see, sometimes God is moving, and we don't Understand, see Jesus paid the cost when we were lost and it was all a part of God's master plan. So when you're waiting for that answer and God says no to you, just go ahead and shout and have no doubt that the Father knows more than you when when God says no.
2: You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
1: (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, that is our show for this evening. I want to thank you for spending a little time with us in a study of God's Word. I want to thank my co-hosts, Brian Christian Coleman and Steve Cordell. Both these gentlemen did a great job. I really appreciate their efforts on the show this evening. And I am just so encouraged that we have a great team of faithful gospel preachers who are willing to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. I don't take any of this for granted, ladies and gentlemen. It takes time, it takes effort, and we are just so pleased uh, for what we're hearing on this show each week. I also want to thank my co-host, Glenn McMillian, who answered the question. Uh, that was that was a great job, Glenn, did, uh, with that question. I always love those shouted-out questions. Go join that uh, group there on Facebook and get involved in those biblical discussions. We want to encourage you all to do that. Send in your questions. We love to answer Bible questions. we Strive always to give you a Bible answer. What a blessing. What a blessing. It is my prayer, ladies and gentlemen, that everything that you heard on the show tonight has been beneficial to your spiritual lives and that your relationship with the Lord has been strengthened because you're not only tuned in to this radio broadcast, but you've given yourself over to a study of God's word. So until we meet again, I pray God's continual blessings upon your lives and that He bless you real, real good. You've been listening to the Gospel Light. Radio Show. On behalf of all of my co-hosts, we really do appreciate your love and support for these programs. I'm Stevie R. Butler. I'm your host tonight. Good night, everybody. God bless you.
2: You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. God's
7: hand God's hand is amazing. amazing. Wipe your weeping out?
2: You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.